Happy New Year. Good to see all of you. Let's just take a moment. I know there's some seating issues. If you're able to squeeze into the middle anywhere or uh, let's take a moment and find those pockets of seats where you can find yourself and make yourself comfortable. My name is my name is Mark, I'm the adult discipleship pastor here, and we are in the middle of a, a three-week series called The Battle, because I don't know if you can tell, but sometimes life is hard, isn't it? Oftentimes when we uh, have, have the beginning of a new year or we're in the middle of a new season, something like that, we, we try to move toward the life that God has for us, what we quickly find is that life is a battle and we begin uh, experiencing conflict and opposition when we try to move forward. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, this morning there's, there's a wide range of experiences here. Some of you, as we move into this new year, are filled with a sense of hope and anticipation, excitement for what the year, uh, for what God has in front of you this year. And uh, I know there are some of you who are already feeling a sense of struggle and defeat uh, maybe even confusion. And so uh, we feel that this series is really important, not because we are fearful, not because we're in despair, but because we hope to gain a sense of clarity on what it is that comes against us. We want to gain a sense of, of hope and uh, a sense of direction Ultimately, we want to be equipped so that we can experience all that God has for us. Last week, uh, JC described how the system and values of the world are directly opposed to and fighting against the life that God has for us. Next week, uh, Perry will teach uh, about what the Bible has to say about the devil, the unseen reality and spiritual warfare. Today, I'm going to talk uh, not about either of those two battles, but I'm going to talk about uh, something maybe even a little closer to home, which is the battle that goes on inside of us. Um, the world is the external temptation to sin. The, the flesh, we'll understand that a little bit more today, is the internal temptation to sin, and the devil uh, is the supernatural temptation to sin. And these enemies are powerful enough all on their own, but when all three of these are working together, they cause us to face a battle that unfortunately takes many of us out. And so we want to gain some clarity and some strength and some hope and some direction so that we can move forward uh, in the life that God has for us. Uh, who, here, um, who here watched the, the MLS Cup in December? Who here uh, even knows what the MLS Cup is? <laughs> Couple of you, great. Uh, the MLS is the highest level of professional soccer in uh, most of the teams are in uh, the United States, uh, a few in Canada. And so the MLS Cup is the championship of that league. It's like the Super Bowl of professional soccer. And so in the MLS Cup this past December, uh, Toronto was playing Seattle. And uh, at halftime, the score was... Zero, zero, which explains why many of you don't watch soccer. <laughs> and the Toronto coach was being interviewed and um, very insightful. The, the interviewer said, uh, what was it about the first half where you really didn't look like yourselves? What, what stopped you from, from creating those chances in front of the goal? And the Toronto coach said, he said, uh, I thought this was very insightful of him. He said, yeah, in the first half, we were our own worst enemy. 
He said, Seattle wasn't really doing anything spectacular or special. Uh, we, we were just not executing uh, the way we know how to do. We were not in our game. We were out of our rhythm. And I just thought how true that is of our lives. Oftentimes, even if the world um, is not coming in at us, which is rare when we're not experiencing the temptations of the world, and even if the devil backed off of us, there's enough brokenness. There's enough propensity inside of us that causes us to miss the goodness and the life of God. And so we're gonna deal with that today. The scriptures teach us that there are passions inside of all of us that literally wage war against our soul and of that life. And so to kind of settle our hearts, uh, we're just gonna quiet for just a moment. And, and uh, because there are so many experiences here, uh, so many things we're feeling, so many uh, uh, life journeys in here, uh, we're gonna take just a moment so, uh, so God can speak to each of us in our own point of need. And so we'll have just a moment of silence and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, we, we quiet our hearts before you. And God, we thank you for hope. We thank you that you are here with us and that you are stronger. We thank you that there is victory. And I pray, God, that you would use this time to, to begin unraveling some of the things that are inside of us so that we would come to know you in ways we've never experienced before. Father, I pray that you would take us into places and lead us into conversations within us maybe that we don't even know we need or need to go to. And so we just invite you that you would speak to each of us in our own point of need and move us to a place that we can only go if you take us there. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the best places in scripture to learn about this internal battle and to explore it is Romans chapters five through eight. And obviously I don't have enough time to, to cover all four of those chapters today, but make a note because if you wanna explore this further, those are the best four chapters uh, to explore this. We're gonna, we're gonna dive right into the middle of uh, Romans five through eight. If you go ahead and turn to, to Romans chapter seven, and this is a really unique place for Paul. Oftentimes, uh, the Apostle Paul comes in with these grand sweeping theological themes, or he's writing these very tender letters to churches that he cares deeply about. But in this particular spot that we're gonna look at today, Paul pulls up the blinds and he lets us see some of this internal struggle that he has. He becomes very transparent, very vulnerable, and uh, hopefully we, when we look at his journey and we see this spot inside of him, uh, I think many of us will find ourselves there as well. And so we can uh, find the hope that he had. So Romans chapter seven, I'll begin uh, with, with verse uh, 18. Paul very vulnerably, transparently says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Doesn't get any more vulnerable than that. Let me just pause right here, and I, I love the NLT for so many reasons, uh, but this is an unfortunate translation there where it says sinful nature. This literally is the flesh. Just to give you a little bit of background, oftentimes in the scriptures, um, the, the word flesh is used to describe our frailty, where my flesh is weak. 
Maybe you've heard that before. Or oftentimes, flesh is used, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, to, to refer to a family line or a blood relationship. And so it's like flesh and blood. But most often, when the word flesh is used, it's to describe the material substance of earthly creatures, even animals. So it's just flesh. It's just the difference between the divine and the angelic and the created beings. It's our flesh. It's who we are. And if, and if you study the, the word flesh, uh, it's interesting as, as you study through the scriptures that flesh uh, somewhere in, in, around in the prophets begins to take on the idea of the whole person, the soul, the body. It's, it's who you are as an individual. And in the New Testament, the word flesh, just to give you some background here, the word flesh is uh, most frequently used by Paul. And the idea is that because we are born in, in sin, because of what Adam and Eve did, our bodies are literally a revolting force against the ways of God. In other words, apart from God's intervention, we are like a car speeding off of a cliff. That's the idea of our, this flesh. And so it's, as he says, and we'll continue in Romans 7 here, when he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. He's saying in my fallenness, in my brokenness, in who I am apart from God, uh, in, in the propen- not just the propensity or tendency, but really in my body, this is who I am. And he continues, I wanna do, I wanna do what is good, but I don't. I don't wanna do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't wanna do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And then here's a principle for your new year right here. I have discovered this principle of life that when I wanna do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Thank you, Paul, for those words of insight. Paul says a very similar conversation with the church in Galatia. Uh, I think uh, Galatians 5.17 crystallizes this battle right here. And I thought it was important enough for us to look at it. Galatians 5.17 says, the sinful nature wants to do what is evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. That's the enemy of the flesh, the battle within. And I wonder if you've been there before and you can relate to the battle that's going on inside you. Where you know God's urging you to do one thing, but you almost feel incapable of going and carrying that out. And so you know what to do, but you don't do it. Or you know what not to do, but you find yourself doing it anyway. Can you relate to that? I know I shouldn't have had those last two pieces of pizza, but I couldn't seem to have stopped myself. I know I should take, get better care of my body, but there's a part of me that just wants to sit on the couch and watch TV. Can you relate to that? I know I shouldn't text and drive, but just this one last time. And the reality is, and the unfortunate part is, it, it goes even deeper than that. I know I shouldn't have yelled at my kids for something so small, but somehow I couldn't seem to stop that anger in me and it just came out. I shouldn't have said those words. I shouldn't have thought those thoughts, felt those things. I, I, I need to stop doing, I, I, should, I know I shouldn't keep doing these things, but somehow I keep doing them. See, the starting point for overcoming the enemy within is to simply be honest about the battle 
And if we go back to the beginning, it's fairly clear to see, and, and you likely know the story, Adam and Eve were told to stay away from the tree, but they didn't stay away from the tree. They, they had that internal battle going on where the serpent deceived them and they weren't sure. They, they likely knew they weren't supposed to go do it, but they went and did it anyway. And so as we see in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. And so I hid because I was afraid and because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And so the Lord turned to the woman and said, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And the reality is because of Adam and Eve, whether we like it or not, we have become, because of our shame and our fear, we have become a people who hide and blame. Right? That's why we get married, isn't it? That's, that's why we have kids, isn't it? So we have someone to, to blame for our stuff. And we wish that the battle would go away once we step into a relationship with Jesus, but many of you know that oftentimes the battle intensifies you, you can even see more clearly what you should do and the battle intensifies. We have a, a new way of looking at the battle and maybe a different kind of strength and perspective, but the battle doesn't go away. It's still living in here. Here are some signs that you can tell there's a battle going on inside you, not as if you need convincing, but here are some signs that there's a battle going on inside you that maybe you have fits of rage or you experience anger over things you either shouldn't be angry about or that go beyond the anger necessary in the situation. I just had one of those last week where I got very angry, way beyond what the situation called for, that spoke to part of my flesh that still needs some healing. You can tell there's a battle going on inside if you have this ongoing restlessness, maybe a lack of peace. You can tell there's a battle going on inside if joy, isn't something you know very often or maybe ever. You can tell there's a battle going on inside if, if no one really knows you. Hence, you're hiding and projecting and putting up an image and a front. Here's possibly the most common way that we think of, you, you know there's a battle going on inside when you're constantly looking for ways to cope or medicate yourself just to get some relief, to, to ease the burden, get away from whatever the pain or discomfort it is you're feeling. And men, if, if you're struggling with uh, sexual purity, you, you need to be in this room next Monday night for our next men's connecting point where we're gonna deal with that and hopefully find some strength and healing and this may be the year that you become free of that. Now, thankfully, uh, many Christians read this part of the text and they stop there. And so it's the message is you're a sinner, you're bad. But th that was never meant to be the end of the conversation. We weren't meant to stop there. But 
We need to start here because this is where we live. And if we don't identify the stuff that's going on in here, we can never bring it to Christ and bring it to the cross and find healing and strength uh, and true restoration. There's a difference between relief and restoration. And so we're gonna sit here in this for just a moment and let me just ask you a few questions from a couple of different directions uh, that may speak to you personally. Can you name the battle that's going on inside you? Can you stop and, not necessarily now, but can you stop and have some quiet and have God bring to the surface a word or a phrase or the area of your life that's a battle for you? What destructive pattern would you love to be freed from? And we're not just talking about changing behavior. I don't want to just act like a better husband. I want to be a better husband. There's a difference between just stopping and starting different behaviors, but I want to be changed and transformed on the inside. Right? It, it feels good to hold a grudge sometimes against someone who's done something to you, right? It feels good to kind of hang on to that until that grudge turns into resentment and bitterness that begins eating away at you and affecting all of your other relationships. Women, there is a beauty inside you. But if you keep looking for approval and to feel that beauty from the people around you and you put all of that on your husband or in how you look for them to give you approval and that feeling, you will miss feeling the beauty that God sees when he looks at you. And that's a battle for many women who care more about their appearance and what's going on out here. That can be your battle. Men, God has given you a strength but you will miss that if you keep taking your question of validation to the woman, to your kids, to determine how well you're doing in life. You will miss that. You were never meant to find your strength in your wife or in your kids or in your job or in your title or in your successes. You're supposed to receive God's strength and offer it to those areas. And so maybe your battle is you keep wanting your wife to tell you how great you are. You will never see if you give your wife the power to validate you, you've also given her the power to invalidate you. And she should not have that power. What is the battle that's going on in there? What is the weight that you've been living under? Possibly fear. See, as, as, as bad as the fall of mankind was and is, as awful as the act of Adam and Eve was in the garden, there's one thing that's even worse. We've gotten used to it. And I wonder if maybe your battle is just a lack of passion and an apathy, and so you constantly fight even being motivated to move forward. Can you name the desire of your flesh that continues to take control? What do you feel trapped in that you can't get out of? Okay, one more question. This one's a little more hopeful. What is the good that God has called you to that you're just having a difficult time making happen? You ever feel like that? I know I'm, 
uh, I've just got this in me. It's just waiting to come out. What is the good that God has called you to? What's that battle over? And so as you're feeling the weight of all of this, you need to know that there's some amazing news. Many people, when they read this section of Paul, they think that this is his darkest, worst moment. But the reality is this may be one of his most beautiful moments because when you get to that place where you're honest with what's going on inside here, that's the place where hope lives. When you get to the, the place of your darkest struggle, your deepest battle and uh, main opposition, that's the place that God wants to come in and live. And so men, if you're struggling with pornography, many of you think that that's causing God to turn away from you, but that is the very thing that caused God to come running to you. Maybe in your fits of anger and rage, you just feel so uh, ashamed and you think that those are the things that are moving God away from you. Those are the places that God looks at you and says, let's go rescue the heart of that one right there. It's hard for us to believe that grace loves sin. I didn't say God loves sin, there's a difference. Grace loves sin. Grace doesn't operate apart from sin. The fact that these things even bother you, if you are wrestling with this and that those things even bother you, that's a good sign that God's at work in you, waking something up and moving to you. And so overcoming the enemy within it begins with being simply being honest about what's going on inside here, but it's got to very quickly move into the next phase, which is leaning into God's grace. Back to our story in Romans chapter seven, lean into grace. Paul says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Chapter eight, verse one, listen to these beautiful words. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, our flesh. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, so he, he sent his son, that's Christmas, in a body that declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's Good Friday and then raised, us, raised him again to new life. That's Easter Sunday so that we can experience his new life. And the reality is, is if you've opened up your heart to Jesus Christ and you've surrendered and you're still hearing voices of shame and condemnation and contempt, those voices are not coming from the Father. Isn't that beautiful? See, this has been a, a difficult week for me as I step into the battle and teach, I know the reality of the devil wants to accuse me and the reality of the, the world, the battle of the world's coming in. But I realized this week how much I still live in shame and guilt even when I haven't done anything wrong. I'm still working through that. And so it's been a, a difficult week for me. Uh, I remember, uh, especially when our kids were little, when we would put them to bed, 
uh, I would take out this legal pad that I had and I would tuck, tuck the kids in and I would stand at the end of their bed and I would begin reading uh, all of the things that they did wrong during the day. And I would say, you know when you said those words to your sister, that was wrong. And when you did that thing to your brother, you shouldn't have done that. And I would just read a list because I wanted them to feel the weight of all of that. Of course I didn't do that. That's crazy. (laughs) But unfortunately, that's what we do to ourselves. And that's what we think God is doing to us, but there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. What happened in reality was God took his legal pad out and everything he had against you, he read against Jesus on the cross and it is gone. The paper's torn up and burned up and your sins have been removed from you as far as the East is from the West. And I held my kids and I said, I love you and I'm proud of you. And yes, there's stuff in here, but you need to be honest about the stuff and then lean into grace. One of the reasons I don't like the translation sinful nature is that it leads us to believe that there's equal forces inside of us, the spiritual nature and the sinful nature. And there's equal, they are, they are not equal forces inside you. You don't have a Jekyll and a Hyde. The reality is you have been given a new identity If Jesus just left us to battle one against the other, that wouldn't be beautiful or helpful at all, would it? Second Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian church was really messed up. They were coming to church drunk. They were stealing each other's stuff. The Corinthian church was really messed up. And in the middle of that messed up church, Paul read these words to them. He wrote this tender, beautiful letter. And he says this, and I'm reading in the J.B. Phillips translation because it's extra beautiful. He says, for if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone Everything has become fresh and new. And so the beauty is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your sin, as deep and dark as it is, is not the truest, deepest part of you anymore. You have a new identity. You are a new creation. So when I first came to know uh, Jesus, I was uh, 22 years old and I quickly stepped into a college ministry called The Navigators. And we were away at a spring uh, retreat, kind of a conference where several colleges um, converged on this retreat center. There were about 300 uh, college students in this place. And it was, it was all new to me. I didn't know anything about Jesus growing up. And so the whole thing was, was really awkward and new. And God was bringing me back to life. But you know, there's still, uh, it was really weird being around Christians and the Bible. And it was just like, a, it was a culture shock for me. So I'm here at this conference and I'm, you know, I, I, I went with my mentor and, and uh, we were uh, sitting in the second row because my friend's an overachiever. And so we were sitting there and uh, after one of the breaks, the, uh, the breaks or lunch or something, all the, all the students were coming back into this, into this uh, big room for, a, for one of the main sessions. <clears throat> and here I am sitting on the second row and the, the president of the navigators uh, was there uh, st- speaking. And so he, uh, I was already intimidated and felt weird. And here's this uh, guru, this hero of the faith uh, standing there talking. And as, the, as the, all the students uh, began moving back into their chairs and taking their seats for this session, uh, this, uh, the leader of the navigators uh, started looking for volunteers. 
And he's like, uh, I need some volunteers up here. And I'm thinking, oh no, this is not gonna go well. And so uh, he's like, okay, you. And he starts calling people out to come forward. And uh, in all of my strength and courage, and I hid behind the chairs in front of me. And I began uh, looking in my book bag, true story, in my book bag, like I was doing something really important. And the next thing I know, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, son, come up here. I need, a, I need some volunteers. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what are we doing here? This is tough. So we lined up, there were six or seven of us up there and he began, uh, opened with some prayer and then he began and he, he walked in front of us with a microphone and he said, uh, who are you? And I wanted to say, I'm scared to death, who are you? But I didn't, I said, I said oh, I'm a soccer player, I'm at Marshall University, I'm you know, originally from Ohio. And he went to the next person, I remember. I can still picture the girl standing next to me. She was right here. And uh, she said uh, something about being a, uh, playing the violin since she was young. And then after that, it was all a blur because I'm looking out over all these people, much like I am now. Um, and it's all a blur all the way down of who they were and, and what. What I do remember, though, is when uh, he came back in front and he said, that's who you think you are but let me tell you who you really are. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, you are the son of a kind and loving father. And he went to the girl next to me and he said, you are the daughter of the king of the universe. And then he pulled out this piece of paper and he began reading about our new identity in Christ. And he said, you have been called of God by name. You have your name engraved on the palm of God's hand. That's Isaiah 49, 16, it's in there. He said, you are a child of God. You are part of the true vine, a channel of Christ's life, and you are his friend. You are chosen and appointed by Christ to make an eternal impact on the world around you. You are a temple, and he went through one after another who we are in Christ. We need to be honest about what's going on in there, but quickly lean into grace as God bestows upon us our new identity, and we begin to live out of that reality more than we live out of these sins and passions that drive us away. And by the way, this list right here is available for you. It's on the Brookwood app under message resources. It's there live now. And it's also uh, on the website, brookwoodchurch.org adults, where you can print that out. And let me encourage you to begin living out of that new identity more and more. So overcoming the enemy within, be honest about the battle, lean into grace. And third phase of uh, overcoming the, the enemy within and that internal struggle is to, to learn to listen for the Spirit's leading. Listen for the Spirit's leading. Back to the story, Romans chapter eight. Beginning in verse five, those, and this is a little bit lengthy passage, so just sit and let this wash over you. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. It's, oftentimes we think that we keep wanting to find life and that God's the one trying to take away life from us. 
but the reality is it's reversed. We keep making decisions that move toward death and destruction, and God's the one saying, I'm trying to lead you toward life and peace. Verse nine, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. That's an important distinction. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life. God wants to give you life. God wants to give you life. Because you have been made right with God, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies, your flesh, by this same spirit living within you. And the reality is we were meant to live in harmony, in an intimate, ongoing union with the Spirit of God. When you spend time with God, it's not 15 minutes that you set aside in the morning and then go about your way. The Christian life is a holy cooperation where more and more we get in tune with the Spirit of God and follow his leading. Uh, One of the things that happened in seminary was I fell in love with the Hebrew language and it was very interesting when I learned that the, the Hebrew word for listen is the same Hebrew word for obey. It's one thing, listening and responding. There is no such thing as listening and not responding. In fact, that's what the rabbis would say that if you are not obeying and responding, you are not truly listening. And sometimes we like to measure spiritual maturity by how much we know or how many religious things we do or uh, how many times we read the Bible or things like that. But the reality in, in the scriptures, spiritual maturity is measured by the gap time between listening and obeying. And the more we close that gap time, so it's more natural, more fluid, that we're hearing God and taking steps the more mature we are becoming. Now, let me say something here about uh, momentum. The more in your life you have chosen uh, destructive uh, patterns or you've made decisions away from God's will for your life, that builds momentum. And the more momentum you've built up in the wrong direction, the longer it takes or the more intense the battle is to move that ship going in the other way. And so that's why Kathy and I are doing everything we possibly can to help our kids build a momentum in the right direction of making decisions one at a time that moves them into the life of God rather than away from the life of God. So when they get out there in the world and the world's coming at them even more than it already is now, and when the devil has a bit more free reign and they're not in the shelter of our home, uh, that they have this momentum that's built up. And so some of you have incredible momentum right now moving toward the things of God, and that's beautiful, keep moving. Some of you have had momentum going away from God and just know it's okay, it's gonna be a struggle. There's no magic dust I can wave over you or a wand I can wave, but It's a process of waking up and getting in step with God's spirit. And so just for the last few minutes, what I wanna do, I'm gonna give you a crash course on learning to listen to God. This is a crash course on hearing God. Some things that I think will be immensely helpful as you seek to say, okay, I wanna follow your leading God. What does that look like? First of all, you need to breathe. 
God is more at work than we are always. God is the only one who can lead us. And so part of it is resting and breathing and trusting that he knows what he's doing. Uh, In Moving Mountains, John Eldridge writes these words, God gave us the sun. This ought to answer any doubts about his power and goodness. All life on this planet derives its life from the sun, that celestial nuclear device with a surface temperature of 5,500 degrees Celsius. Our mothers told us to never look directly at the sun, but when you sneak a peek at it, it appears to be the diameter of a pencil eraser. Yet, listen to this. It's kind of too big for us to take in, but listen. Yet more than a million Earths could fit inside the sun unconceivable amounts of energy is generated at its core as hydrogen converts to helium by nuclear fusion. It's so brilliant, I don't even understand what that means exactly. Listen to this though, when one solar flare shoots out from the sun, it releases more energy than 10 million volcanoes. That same spirit who created the heavens and the earth five times in those last three verses I read to you, lives inside you. You have the God of the universe living inside you with all of that power. And our job is to breathe, to rest. Another thing that's immensely helpful in learning to hear God's voice is space and silence. The world is the pace and the distraction of this world is mind-numbing. And if you don't have space and silence, you will not hear the strong but quiet, tender words of the Spirit. You need to build space and silence into your life. Uh, Another thing that's helpful, uh, I don't know if we've made clear here, is that hearing God, his voice is not audible. Uh, If you're hearing audible voices, I'd like to talk with you and we can, uh, I've never heard audible voice, but I can tell you I've heard God leading me and guiding me. I'll give you a a quick example. Um, uh, When I was uh, still in college, I came to know Christ, but I was uh, was helping coach the university uh, soccer team there while they were in between transition between head coaches. And I had just gotten back from a a trip where there was a death of uh, some friend. uh, I went to visit some friends where there was a death in their family. And I just got back. I was studying. I was working on a master's degree. I came back and I coached the high school as a head coach of a high school soccer team. And yet I was helping with this uh, at Marshall University as the assistant coach. And um, I was just one of the several assistants and there was a, a, an away game. We were traveling, I can't even remember where, somewhere in Virginia. It was a long trip on, on these vans through the mountains and you know, it just isn't the most pleasant trip. And there was, uh, I was um, justified if I didn't wanna go on this trip. Uh, and so I, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna go. I'm, I'm not gonna go be with the team. They've got other coaches. I just got back from all this stuff going on, whatever. And so I woke up early that morning uh, uh, before the, I was supposed to go get on the van. It was five or six in the morning before I was gonna go get on the van and take the trip. And I, I got up to call the head coach and let him know I wasn't coming. Uh, and I sat on the edge of my bed and as, as clear, as, as audible as it could be without being the voice of God, I heard God say, pack your bag and go. And I thought, okay, maybe that is you, God. I'm just gonna go and do it. It felt really strong. And so I went, I packed my bag and I went. Uh, And uh, so part of following God's leading is just um, 
learning the art of following your curiosity. Maybe that was God speaking. Maybe he is leading me here. And so I was curious. I I said, okay, maybe you are leading me here. I got on the bus and my friend Carl, one of the players there, uh, who who I had played with uh, before I started coaching, and then he was just a uh, uh, sophomore junior at this time, and so I was coaching now, but I'd become friends with him. He said, I'm so glad you came today. He said, something is happening inside me, and I needed to talk to you. And I thought, okay, God, this is it. And we stopped at one of those restaurants where there's the, buff, the Western Sizzler or the Ponderosa where the whole team goes in and tears apart the buffet. And here are me and Carl standing outside the van on this cold fall day, closing his eyes and opening his hands and he received Christ out there in the parking lot and it changed his life forever. I would have missed that moment had I not just been open and curious to follow God's leading. A couple other things uh, as you're trying to learn to listen to God's spirit and sense his leading. Build habits into your daily life. Uh, Oftentimes when I'm on the treadmill at the gym, there's something in me that wants to get to, that wants to arrive and be done, right? Have you ever been there before where you're on the treadmill or you're doing something? And so I'm I'm there, uh, oftentimes I'll cover up the time with a towel uh, so I can't see how far there is to go. And there was this one time I remember and I'm starting to sweat and drips, whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, good. I'm I'm probably at least about, you know, after 30 minutes was what I set in. I'm probably about halfway there. I lift up the towel and I'm only like three and a half minutes into it. I'm like, oh, this is killing me. There's no magic dust to get you to it. We, we, there's something in us that wants to arrive. But following God's spirit is one decision at a time. And if you will build habits into your daily life, uh, following God isn't like winning the lottery. It's more like saving for retirement. We want it to be like, oh, it's, I'm, I'm here, $10 million. But really following God is more like depositing day after day, day after day, one decision at a time, build things. We do soul training to take our bodies into, uh, in, uh, to interrupt our patterns We do the soul training that we give you every week. Soul training is there to interrupt your normal patterns so that you can experience the life of God in some new ways. Um, And the last thing I'll just uh, give you here is um, make the scriptures a part of who you are. Read the Bible, not for information's sake, but read the Bible so that it can become a part of your story. Here are, uh, sometime this year, check out these two books. They're on the screen, and so you don't have to write them down real fast. They are also listed in your program. These two books right here, are they on the screen? Somewhere they're on the screen, or if not, that's okay. Um, Hearing God in Conversation and The Making of an Ordinary Saint. You ought to check out those two books. Again, look in your program. They're listed there. Okay, the reality is there is a battle going on over what we care about, over our marriages, over the impact of our life, over, in many ways, the battle is over who we are in Christ and who we were. But the good news is if you'll be honest and if you'll lean into grace and if you'll learn to listen to the spirit, there is amazing, amazing grace that has the power to change our lives. We're gonna have the the counselors come forward now. And if 
I've said something or you've heard something from the Spirit and you would love to share a struggle that you have or you would simply love to have someone pray over you. You don't even want to open up. That's, that's fine as well. Um, the counselors will be here for you. I want to close with this beautiful uh, section from Isaiah 42. And I'm reading in uh, the message translation because I just love this, how this is worded. And so if, if you'll go ahead and stand, kind of go old school here for a minute. This is what God says to us as we face the battle. God says, I will take the hand of those who don't know the way, who can't see where they're going. I'll be a personal guide to them, directing them through unknown country. I'll be right there to show them what roads to take to make sure they don't fall in a ditch. These are the things I'll be doing for them, sticking with them, not leaving them for a minute. Father, we thank you for victory in Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for hope. We thank you for strength. We thank you that you are always more at work than we are. God, I pray that you would help us sense your spirit in ways we never have yet before. And I pray, God, you would help all of us overcome the battle that's within. May we come to know you this week and this year more personally, more powerfully than we ever have before. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today.